Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. I'm Greg DeVries, pastor at The Well Scottsboro, and I'm grateful that you've decided to listen to this podcast. I hope that this word uplifts you and encourages you wherever you are. Stay with me for a few moments after the sermon. I would like to pray with you. I trust you'll be blessed by the word of God. Amen. I don't know about you guys, I'm happy to be in the house of God tonight. Amen. Thank you so much, Andrew. I appreciate you. Lord God, we just, we, you know what? I'm going back into prayer. Hey, let's keep going. Lord God, we bless you. Amen. Amen. All right. <laughs> do y'all ever do that? I do that kind of stuff all the time. I'll start to think and I just, I don't know what I just said, but okay, let's go back into prayer. Well, tonight I want to share a message entitled, uh, The Power of the Place of Need. The power of the place of need. And I thought it was super fitting with the different things in worship, but really with all the prayer for need. I, I mean, just think of all the needs that we've prayed for. And I want to share, because I think a lot, a lot of times we look at need as if it's this negative, terrible thing. And I want to share a new perspective, uh, not new in time or new in this world or in this life, but maybe new to me, maybe new to you, maybe something that we could draw on as we walk through our life. Um, and I think that in our world, especially in the Western world, that uh, a lot of times we spend a great deal of our lives doing everything we absolutely can to avoid one thing, and that's need. We want to do anything we can. We, we, you think about this world. Everything is trying to, to find something that's sustainable, that's renewable. Why? So that it never runs out. And if it never runs out, guess what? Maybe we'll never have need. But the truth is, is that I don't think we realize that God actually uses need in our life to teach us dependence upon him. He wants to take, he doesn't have, our need is not purposeless. There's something that he wants to do inside the needs that we're walking through. And every need that you encounter at every season of your life has something that he wants to teach you through it. It has something, it has a mission that he allowed it to come to you in order that you might grow, you might mature, you might gain wisdom, you might gain understanding. And I don't know about you, but that's much more valuable than the thing that I actually need. Because, you know, even in Proverbs, you can read, it says, you know, silver, gold, all these things, they pale in comparison to what? The knowledge of God, the fear of the Lord, wisdom, all of those things are so much greater than silver, gold, food, a vacation, hello somebody, right? Whatever it might be, you might have a need, but the Lord, he has a purpose in letting you walk through that need, and there's power in it, and I want to show you that tonight. I believe that the Lord wants to give us this message to show us that our need is not a shameful thing, because I think a lot of times we see need as condemning, right? Oh, I have need, so people are going to look down upon me, or I'm going to look down upon myself, and it's not shameful. It's actually something that can draw us to greater intimacy with the Lord, but ultimately, the goal is dependence upon God. You know, in the world, maturity in the world is seen as independence. You know what God, godly maturity is? It's complete dependence. In the world, it says, hey, you got to learn how to live on your own. Get out of your mom and daddy's house. Go pay the bills, right? But in God's eyes, he wants actually every breath we take to be in total dependence and alignment with the will that he has for our life. Our goal is not to grow to become independent, but to grow completely dependent upon him. Amen? So I want to go first to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 19 and 20. And this is just kind of a foundational point that I want to look at. 
just to build the scenario that we're going to be going through tonight. Somebody say, the power of the place of need. All right, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. It says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 I think it's amazing that we serve a God who not only knows the needs that we have before we even ask them, but, in, but actually agrees to satisfy and supply every need we have. He, he said, I, I'm, I'm all powerful. Every need that you have can be fulfilled in me. And I, I think in our modern day, we, we sometimes hear um, things that, uh, and I, I bless God that we're in a house that absolutely preaches the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. It, it's, it's a great place to be at. And, there, and I'll tell you this, don't take it for granted. Because I've been in houses that, that don't always preach the truth or maybe the edge upon not preaching the full truth. But I believe in this house that the truth of the gospel is preached. But I've heard preachers say things in our modern day, in our culture, things like when you come to Jesus, you won't be in need anymore. And you'll have everything you need. And now I get what they're saying or what maybe they're trying to say, but it can be a little misleading. I mean, I'll say this. Jesus did say, hey, if you come and you drink of the water I have, you'll never thirst again. But I don't read where he says you'll never need again. He said you'll never thirst again. So what I, what I want to show you tonight is that, that God wants to take our needs and supply them. Here's the thing. When you come to Jesus, your needs don't disappear. They don't, they're not gone forever oh man, I don't ever have a need again. My shoes are in perfect condition constantly. I'm actually gonna read a verse in Deuteronomy 8 that talks about how that happened. But anyway, uh, my jeans didn't wear out. You know, when I went to go fix that pipe below the sink, they didn't rip, praise God, right? <laughs> we, wanna, we want that, that that's the case. How many would wish that that was the case? When you came to Jesus, needs just disappeared. Woo, thank the Lord. No more need. Wow, what a great place to live in. But it's not reality, <laughs> It's not reality. And even though I'm just 29, I can tell you it's not reality. The thing is, he doesn't take away our needs. What he wants to do is to show you where the source and the supplier is for those needs. It's not to take them away and make them disappear. It's to make you realize where you have to go at all times, where you have to look at all times, not to any other inferior source, not to man, not to your employer, not to your city or your government, can I get an amen? But to Jesus Christ, it says, my God shall supply all your needs according to whose riches? His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The work that he did on the cross. He's got the cattle on a thousand hills. If he needs to give you one, he can. But that also means if he didn't, there might be purpose there. There might be purpose there. So the truth is, welcoming God into our lives doesn't rid our lives of needs, but he does desire for us to understand that the source and supply of each and every single need that we do have is from one place, and that's Jesus. That's his riches and glory. And before you chose to follow Jesus, the sad news, and, uh, and a lot of people don't realize it, is that all those needs, all those weights were on you. You had to bear them in your own strength, you had to try and fulfill them in your own way. And I don't know about you, but that's really tiresome. I've been there before where you're toiling 
You're trying to figure out, what do I do next? I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to look to. And, and guess what? Without turning to Jesus, there is no one. You know, even the world, if it does try and help you, has an agenda in helping you, an agenda that ultimately could lead you to bondage or frustration or at least annoyance. But when you turn to Jesus, he says, guess what? I am the source for every need that you have. Now, the thing is, with him being the source, that means that it's his choice when he releases the answer to that need. Now, you can pray, you can ask, and you should. You should ask, you should pray, but you also have to trust that his timing is perfect. And that until you, and here's the other thing. This, listen, we can look at the children of Israel as a great example of this because 11 days turned into 40 years, right? How you behave in the process of waiting will ultimately determine how long the wait might be. And what you do when you're waiting in, in regard to your heart might determine how long that wait might be. Or maybe, if not how long, how many enemies you might have to face along the way because you're trying to do it in your own strength, your own way. You're not, you're not saying, Lord, work this out in me. Do something new in me. But when you came to Jesus, he said, I shall supply all your need according to my riches in glory. Our needs aren't gone, but we have a source and we have a supply. Amen. So I want to return, go to one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, and it's been probably my wife and I's theme verse for the last two or three years now. And it probably is going to stay that way for a long time. I love it that way, right? Uh, so let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to look at verse 9 first. So you guys turn there and join with me as we read the word of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ might re may rest upon me. See, I think that, in, again, the world tries to even show us this, right? You need more, you need more, you need this, you need that, right? You need a new car, you need a Tesla roof. I don't know why, but you need a Tesla roof. You should buy one, right? Or some ridiculous expense then in all reality, yeah, like, you need a Tesla roof. Oh, wait, I live in tree coverage everywhere. It's not even going to help me. Well, you still need one, right? The world's message is you need what you have is not enough, right? And so the problem is, is that a lot of times we let the world infiltrate, infiltrate our thinking, and now we see need as weakness. And we see it as, oh, woe is me that I have a need. When, in fact, you know, it, it it actually, it is weakness, but we don't understand the purpose and the weakness. We see the need as weakness. He sees it as a place where he can display his perfect strength. We see every need as this major problem that we can't overcome and that there's no reason that it's here. Why am I going through this? Why do I have to face this? And he says, if you just let me, my grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, my strength can be made perfect. But here's the thing, grace can only be received. You've got to receive because it's unmerited. That means you can't go out and earn it. You can't just go take it. You can't just go get it and say, I have to have more of this. It's an unmerited thing. The only place I see in scripture that helps grace come is humility, right? I can't do it in my own strength. Lord, I need you. That's a great way to welcome the grace of God. It's a great way to welcome his grace. But the thing is, we try and insulate and isolate ourselves from all need and want and lack 
in every problem. It's like we just want to put just like, you know, that big like Michelin tire man suit on our whole life. Maybe if I have this on, I'll never experience need. I'll never experience problem, right? But the thing is, when you insulate and isolate yourself from need, this is, get this tonight. When you insulate and isolate and separate yourself from all need, you try and do everything in your own strength to separate yourself from need, you actually find yourself powerless. You actually find yourself powerless. You might be like, well, what do you mean? What's your point here? Well, I don't know about this, but this is what it says here in the Bible. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon me. My strength is made perfect for you in weakness. Now, I'm not saying that we should go searching for every need we can find. Trust, trust me, I'm not, not saying that. What I am saying is that trying to rid our life of need, we may never see the power of Christ present in our life the way that we're praying and hoping to see it. If you want to see the power of Jesus Christ present in your life, you've got to have need. There's no way around it. If you're completely needless, what, what, what does he have to do for you? Right? And sometimes the thing is, we're not needless, but we see ourselves as needless. I'm good. I'm good. I'm all right. I don't need this. I don't need that. Right? I'm fine. I'm, I'm good where I'm at. You know, you know, my one time of reading the Bible a week, that's plenty. I don't need more right? Or I don't, I don't know if I need to go to prayer tonight. I don't know if I need to do this or need to do that, right? And we, we think that we're good, but when you're needless, you're powerless. You don't, you don't present Jesus the opportunity to come and display his power. Our need actually places a demand on the power of God. It doesn't demand it. You have to do this, Lord, what it does is it presents an opportunity for his power to come and bring him glory and honor and dominion in your life. That's what it does. Now, here's the cool thing. Every wonder-working act or miracle of God was first preceded by need. Did you, can you tell me of a miracle in the Bible where someone didn't need something before that miracle happened? Because I can't find one. Uh, you might be saying, well, what about the people who didn't know they were in sin? Well, they didn't know they needed a miracle, but they did. <laughs> Right? I don't know about you and me, but I, before, before Jesus came and convicted me, I didn't know how much I actually needed him, but I still did. I still needed him. It didn't change my reality. It just was my perception that was a little off. Every wonder-working act or miracle of God was preceded by need. So we might be praying. It's like what Pastor Greg said. There was a, there was a, uh, a post-service or revival prayer time that we were having. And in the middle of prayer, he gets up here and he says, hold on, hold on, hold on. He says, you know what? We actually need to be praying for God to present us with problems and needs because in order for the miraculous to show up, there has to be a problem. In order for miracles to come, there's got to be a problem, right? Like when everything's good and dandy, what's just good and dandy? I mean, what are you waiting for? Just do whatever you got to do, right? But when there's a need, right? I need a healing in my life. I've just lost my job. I need a breakthrough, right? Whatever it might be. My car broke down and I don't have the money to get a new one. I have a need, right? But guess what? It's a perfect opportunity for his power to be displayed. And I want to look at a couple of places that provide some context to this. I want to look at Luke chapter 9. How many have enjoyed reading through the book of Luke? I've loved it. It's been so good. I just love having something that we can connect upon 
together, right? Like, like I'm not wondering, like, well, where's, where's Pastor DJ reading today? I can be like, hey, so what'd you think of today? And we get to start talking about that, right? We get to actually start discussing scripture. That's a, such a cool thing. And I think that we need more of that. And I know in this house, that's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to be reading scripture together more often because it, it's joining us together. Amen. So um, Luke chapter nine, we're going to look at verse 11. It says, but when the multitudes knew it, and what they knew was that Jesus had come to a deserted place. It said, when the multitudes knew it, they followed him. And he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And he healed those who had need of healing. It didn't say he healed the ones who didn't need to be healed. He specifically healed who? The ones who needed healing. That's a pretty obvious statement, right? Like he didn't go and touch the guy's knee whose knee was working just perfectly fine, right? He touched the one whose knee needed help. It needed restructuring, whatever it happened. Maybe there was a torn tendon or something, a ligament. He said, I'm going to heal that. He saw a need and that's what he responded to. All right, let's look at another one. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14, we're going to look at, starting in verse 14. And it says, And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. If you keep on reading in that same passage, later on, he's actually teaching and some different things are happening. And it said that basically the disciples come to him and say, hey, we need to send all these people away because it's getting late. They've been with us for a while and they're really hungry. And the, the, what, what happens is first there's this need of their sickness. There's things like that. And he, Jesus is moved by compassion to heal those sicknesses, to heal those things that they were tormented with. But then now a different need arises and it's not a healing this time. It's a need of hunger. And what happens? They bring Five loaves, two fish. Jesus breaks the bread, gives thanks, and all of a sudden, 5,000 people are fed. Why? Because there was a need of hunger. Jesus sees a need, and he says, I can do something with that, right? You can even think about even another layer, that there were 5,000 people, and there were only seven things, seven pieces of food. That's also a problem. Like, how are we going to feed everybody with this? I, I don't know, but... He's going to thank the Lord, and all of a sudden it multiplies for 5,000 people, and they gather up 12, 12 baskets of leftovers. It said everyone was full. I mean, it's hard to fill people in my house, let alone 5,000, right? And really, it's just me and Brooklyn eating, and then the two girls kind of nibble, right? I mean, like, Gable's not eating a steak yet, or right? he's only four weeks old, right? But it's hard enough to get us full, let alone 5,000 people, and then leftovers, right? That's crazy. Jesus is probably like, hey, y'all can come back tomorrow. We have more, <laughs> right? He sees a need. He fills the need. In order for there to be a miracle or a wonder-working act of God, a need or a problem has to be present. But too often, we, well, man, I can't believe I'm in another stinking place of need. Man, I just got through this last problem. Who's been there? One problem ends and another begins, right? It's like there's not even a transition. It's just like, oh, well, here we are. I don't know what to do again. I'm used to this situation, right? Or whatever, right? And we, what do we say? When it rains, 
right? Maybe he's trying to teach us something, right? Maybe he's trying to show us something. So need stirs the compassion of God. Actually, one, one day I was teaching J3 and I did a study on this. This was last year on the compassion of God. In almost every single place, I, can, I, I don't have the statistics for you, but it was something like 90% of the miracles that we see happen in the New Testament when Jesus was walking the earth, it was filled with compassion. Compassion hit first and then the miracle followed. But what was there to be compassionate about if they didn't need anything? Need produces and stirs the compassion of God, and then the compassion of God stirs the miraculous, wonder-working power of God. So these things precede each other. So you say, I don't want need. You might not see the miracles. You might not see the power. Maybe right now you're resisting the circumstances that God has you in, and you're also resisting the miracle. Because, well, I I don't want this. I'm going to try and figure out in my own strength, in my own way. And tonight, I really believe when I was praying today that you're probably in one of two categories tonight. And these are pretty simple. It doesn't take a, you know, a super, super duper smart person to figure out if you're one of these two people. One is you probably are currently in need, right? Can I get an amen? I'm I'm raising my hand, right? Or number two, you're going to be sometime pretty soon, whether because something all of a sudden arises or maybe because he tells you to do something and that something he tells you to do requires a need to be fulfilled. And so he says, hey, obey my word. And then you get there and you're like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I try starting a coffee shop. <laughs> you, you'll experience that. I guarantee it. Try starting a business, right? Can I get an amen from any of the business owners here? Try doing something that seems really, really hard. You'll find out needs will show up, <laughs> but miracles will too. Miracles will too. I, I could sit here and testify for the rest of this time of all the moments where miracles happened. I mean, I can tell you about the time when I was praying on my knees and I was like, no, I'm leaving my phone out here this time. I'm not going to be distracted. And I got on my knees. I said, Lord, we need an answer. We need an answer. We need thousands of dollars in that moment. And I just kept praying. I was like, we just need something. Lord, would you please supply this need? I just kept praying, kept having my time with the Lord. I looked back at the timestamp and I got a text message within three minutes of me praying that prayer, someone had sent us $1,000. Three, a three minute window of that prayer occurring and the Lord had fulfilled it. So I, so I could sit here and tell you of all these different things I've seen the Lord do, but the point is, this is about the needs that you're walking through. And the Lord is saying tonight, hey, those needs have purpose and I wanna reveal my power and my strength in those if you'll let me if you'll let me do it. So how do I know if you're one of those two people? Because I've been there. I've been there. I've heard stories. I've not just been there, but I've seen what my parents walked through. I've seen what Pastor Greg and Gretchen have walked through. I've seen what my friends have walked through. We're, we're all in a similar boat, right? Maybe yours isn't a thousand dollar need. Maybe it's a need that isn't monetary at all. Maybe it's a need that you can't define with a quantity of money. Maybe it's a child that needs to repent, that needs to come home, Right? Either way, whatever it is, we're all in a similar situation that we have a need, but we're also all positioned for the revealing and the manifestation of the power and the glory of God. Amen? I remember that um, when we were starting Alabaster, I was driving one day, and um, we had just made a major decision about the shop. A major, I mean, just like massive, you know, plan-shattering decision about the shop. And we knew it was the will of the Lord. 
And I prayed this prayer. I said, Lord, if I do this that you're telling me to do, and I've already decided to do it, but if I do it, I acknowledge to you that if I fall, there's only one person to catch me, and that's you. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, exactly. I'm like, what? What? He said, exactly. Exactly. I'm the only one who can catch you, right? You go read in Psalm 37, right? It says that, it says that the righteous, none of their steps shall slide. But he says that, he said, he will uphold me by his right hand. So if you're in a position where you're like, you know what? There's no one here to catch me. You're in a great spot to see the power and the hand of God touch you, lift you up, or uphold you, change your mind, change your status, change whatever you need it to be. Why? Because you, you took an ultimate step of faith of saying, you know what? There is no other source that I can look to for this but you, Jesus. And when you make that decision, I'll I tell you what, miraculous things will happen. Now, here's the thing. Maybe you're in that boat where you know the Lord's calling you to make a decision that's extremely difficult. And he's saying, hey, obey me in this. Obey me in this. What I want to warn you about, because again, I've been, I've been in this before. Uh, he took me from when we, we, were, we had a very comfortable employment. And he, and he told us, I want you to step out in faith and start this business. And I can tell you the times that I looked back and was like, I just wish I could go back to that. And the question is, when you obey him and you start walking in his, in his will, will you too look back and say, well, we should just go back to Egypt where the leeks and the onions are at. It would be better for me to be in bondage, but at least get to fulfill the desires of my flesh. I'm telling you, the best thing you can do is to forget what's behind and reach forward towards what's ahead because there's a greater prize that you get to lay hold of if you'll forget. You know what? The leeks and onions, they're not that good anyway. Can anybody agree? That's like, I'd rather have filet mignon, but guess what? I got to go to the promised land and kill some things to get that. I'm not going to find that in Egypt because you better believe the Egyptians are not going to feed me a filet mignon. They might feed me some leeks and onions. And what, what a poor quality of life that that's what they were concerned with. But God wants to do something in us. He's calling us to a, to a place of obedience such that we would say, Lord, I'm not concerned. I'm not gonna covet the things I let go of because I know the obedience you've called me to walk in is worth it. And I'm gonna receive something in this lifetime, yes, but also in the lifetime to come in eternity with you that I can lay down at your feet, that I can give you in worship and to glorify your name. Now, I love this. We have a promise in this house, a prophetic promise promise that's been proclaimed over this house, that lack will not be our problem. Can I get an amen? I want to see that fulfilled in my life. I want to see that fulfilled in this house. But let me tell you something. Need's not a problem. Need is not a problem. We say lack will not be your problem. Need is not a problem. Need is the opportunity for the revealing of the power and glory of God. That is not a problem. That is not a problem. That's a really, really good thing right? Because you know what? I don't know about you, but why are we here if we don't want to see the power and glory of God come and touch our city, touch our lives? I'm not here to just sit here and have another cool talk. I want to see his glory come. I want to see his presence come. I want to see Scottsboro saved. I want to see people in that business down there get healed in a moment because there was a problem and a need and the miraculous wonder-working power of God showed up in that moment. That's what I want to see. Need is not a problem. It's an opportunity for God. It's an open door for him to walk through it and say, I can do something with that. Uh, 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 it makes me think about the widow's jar of oil. 
Because I think in our lives, again, like what I want to get across is as long as there is need in our lives, there is a vein or a funnel for the power of God to flow. As long as there is need in our life, there is a vein or a funnel for the power of God to show up and flow to our life. There's a plumb line for it. He can do what he wants to do. But think about the widow's jar of oil. We don't have time to turn there, but that's in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. As long as there was an empty vessel available, guess what kept flowing? The oil. There was a widow that was in a terrible trouble. Her husband had passed, and now the debt collectors are coming to collect on the debt of who knows what, maybe their house, maybe their, their yoke for their oxen, maybe the oxen themselves. We don't really know. There was debt. There was a problem, a situation. And she calls on the man of God. She calls on Elisha and says, what do I do here? They're going to come take my sons as payment for my debt. And he says, get some empty vessels. Well, first he says, what, what do you have? And she's like, well, I've got some flour and I've got some oil. And he says, well, first make me a cake, right? I mean, that's the great thing to request first, right? That's, let's start there. Make me a cake, right? But then he says, take some empty vessels and pour some oil in it and keep on pouring in it, and keep on pouring it, and then sell that oil and go and pay off that debt. As long as there was an empty vessel, that oil kept flowing. That empty vessel is a need. It's a problem. It's a situation that we're against, that we don't know what to do, but guess what? There's an opportunity for him to pour his power right into it, to him to show up and to do something that you had no clue that he would do or that he would want to do. But he wants to show up and fulfill that need. But I want to tell you something. Beware of the condition of having no need. Because if you're in a condition or a state of having no need, I want to tell you there's a title for it. It's stagnancy. It's complacency. If you're in a place where you don't have any need in your life right now, you might be in a place where you're not doing anything that requires the power of God to show up. I'll tell you this, you can't advance the kingdom of God without him. You can't. Every, every movement or work or task that he calls us to, to do to advance his kingdom requires him to fulfill the need. Whether it be through a coffee shop, whether it be through trail of treats, there is a need for candy. I'm going to plug that again. Candy. There's a need for candy. Amen. Can I get an amen? There's a need for candy. Let's fulfill it. All right. There is a need for that. But we want to fulfill this task of what? Reaching the souls in Scottsboro. And I'll tell you what, I can't save them and neither can you. But what can save them is the power, wonder-working presence and glory of God and the word of God that can come in a moment and change their life. And that's what we get to present. But if you want to try and do something about, with that or something like that without God, it's not going to do anything. So if you're in a state where you're saying, I don't have any need, you, you might want to check to make sure you're not stagnant, complacent, or at least sitting still or resting. Guess what it says? It says, beware of a little resting, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Because why? This is interesting, right? Your prowler will come upon you and your need, like an armed man, your need. So even if you're sitting there resting, guess what? Need's going to show up. There's no way around it. Need's going to be knocking at your door before you know it. It's going to be saying, hey, I'm coming for your sons because you got debt. You got something to pay. 
I'm coming for your family. I'm coming for your household. And I don't know about you, but I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm saying, Lord, you can fulfill this need. I'm going to walk in obedience. I'm going to do what you said. I'm not going to let the enemy take my household. I'm not going to let him take my family. I know Jesus is coming back soon. Can I get an amen? I know he's going to return for his bride. And I'm not going to stand around and do wasteful things and fold my hands and rest and miss out on a harvest that he wants to bring into his kingdom. I'm not going to do that. Amen? If you don't have a need, it may be an indicator that we are not doing anything to advance the kingdom of God. Because let me tell you, if you, can't, you cannot advance his kingdom without him. You can't do it. You can't do it. I want to go back to 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. start in verse 9 again. <clears throat> and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, verse 10, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distresses. For Christ's sake, let me tell you, there's purpose in what you walk through. For Christ's sake, there's purpose in it. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. We're, we're taking pleasure, not because what we're going through is pleasurable, but because we know what walking through it does. What walking through need can create. It creates an opportunity for his power. Amen? Really quick as we wrap up, and Andrew, you can come to the keys. I want to give you really quick as we, we close. <coughs> In order to find the power that comes from the place of need, you must win seven battles. And it's not exclusively seven, but these are the seven battles that the Holy Spirit revealed to me that you must win if you want to see him reveal and bring his power in the place of need. The first battle is the battle of worry. The battle of worry. You know, it says that what can worry do? Can it add a cubit to your stature? Can it add a second to your life? Worry can't do any of those things. It says what? It says that today has enough worries of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it talks about be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, make your requests to be made known to God. And then it says, it goes on to say, and the God of peace will be with you. You've got to face worry head on. Let me tell you, anytime Jesus said, do not do something, would you agree with me that to do it would, would to be sin? Well, what did he say in Matthew 6? Do not worry. So oftentimes I think we want to make an excuse for worry, but if Jesus said do not worry and we choose to worry, then we can all agree we are choosing to sin. We can't, worry can't do anything about it. Let me give you a secret that I've learned recently is that if worry comes up, first thing I do, of course, is I, I, I say, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to bow to worry. I'm not going to give in to worry. Next thing I do is whatever it is, that circumstance that I'm dealing with, if I can fix it, I go work on it right then if I'm available to. But if I can't, I throw it out of my mind. If I can't do anything about it, why am I just going to think about it? I, instead, I'm just going to pray and say, Lord, you know this need. By prayer and supplication, I need you to fulfill this need. But I'm not going to sit here and worry about it. I can't do anything about it. So instead, I'm just going to turn it over to you. I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to throw it out of my mind because I'm not going to let it cause anxiety, which eventually leads to depression. I'm not going to do that. 
So the first battle is the battle of worry. The second battle is the battle of pride. Deuteronomy 8.3, really quick when I turn there. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, so he humbled you and allowed you to hunger. He humbled you and allowed you to hunger. And we're gonna read the rest of the verse here in a little bit. But every time you're in a place of need, your pride is gonna be, it's gonna gonna wanna flame up, rise up. What? I don't need this. I, I, like, why is this my problem? I don't want anyone to know that I'm walking through this because then they're gonna think less of me. Then they're gonna think this of me. They're gonna think that of me. And all of a sudden your pride starts to overwhelm you when the reason he allowed you to walk through it is to humble you. And he allowed you to hunger. Why? To humble you. So you must win the battle of pride. You can't let yourself just, well, I'm not gonna humble myself. Because why? If you, if you let that battle happen, this is, where, this is where you're gonna be stuck. This is the battle of pride. You'll stay in a, a cyclic motion, just like the children of Israel were wondering for 40 years. You're gonna stay in that place. If you allow him to, he will use the place of need to humble you, not to humiliate you, but to humble you. Number three is the battle for praying through. The battle for praying through. Uh, This this was a super popular term long before my term, praying through a circumstance, right? Not just praying about it, but praying until you saw the Lord answer. Praying until you saw him fulfill it, right? If you go read in Luke 11, it talks about how this man had a need and he went to his friend's house and he asked for that need to be fulfilled. It said he kept on knocking on the door so much that eventually his friend got out of bed and brought him what he needed. He said, he eventually, he was, at first he was like, no, I'm, I, my children are in bed with me. I'm not, I'm not getting up for you. Go away. Talk to me tomorrow. But he kept knocking so much. Finally, the guy's annoyed. He says, I'll help you out, right? And then Jesus used this as a metaphor to say, hey, ask, seek, and knock. Asking will be given to you. Seeking you will find. Knocking will be opened to you right? And then there's another passage in Luke 18 where it says, it talks about the persistent widow that continued to cry out day and night until she was avenged. And then it says this, but when the Son of Man returns, will he really find faith on the earth? He's looking for persistence. Persistence how? In prayer. Persistence in the will of God. Persistence in the word of God. We've got to learn to pray through. Can I get an amen? Number four is the battle of doubt. Here's the thing. The first thing that happens when we go into a situation where we have need is we begin to question the nature of God. We say, why in the world would he let me go through this? Right? We, we, we result to almost like a child, right? Like, why won't my parents let me have some of that candy that's specifically for Trail of Treats? Right? We begin to argue and complain, right? We begin to question his nature of why, why would he let me walk through this? I can't believe he would do this. Well, if you read in James chapter one that Pastor Greg quoted on Sunday, right? He lets the trials come to teach you patience and that patience might have its perfect and complete work that you might be lacking nothing, right? But then it goes on to say, that says, ask of God if you need wisdom and he'll give liberally without, without reproach. But if you ask, don't doubt, because the man who doubts is double-minded, unstable in all of his ways. He's like a wave tossed in the sea, tossed to and fro. So you have to make the decision. And I can tell you, I've walked through this. I walked through this after the death of my father, my earthly father. I said, I'm choosing today. I'm not gonna doubt. I'm not gonna doubt who he is. I'm not gonna doubt that he can heal. I'm not gonna doubt that he has all power and all authority. I'm not gonna doubt the nature and the character of God. And I made a decision to not do that. 
And I can tell you this, you can make that decision. Number five is the battle of contentment. Because when we're in a place of need, a lot of times it will make us address how content we are with our life. It'll make you search for, I want a way out. Well, maybe if I move to a different city, get a different job, get a different house, it'll make me feel better. It won't make you feel better. It won't make you feel better. Even Paul, he goes on and he says, you know, I don't speak in regard to need, but one thing I've learned is that in every circumstance to be content. I know how to be a base. I know how to be abound. I know how to be full and to be hungry. In all things, I've learned to be content. And then Paul later says, godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. Number six is the battle for praise. I tell you what, don't let need steal the praise that you are owed to give God. Don't let need steal the praise. In fact, before the need's ever fulfilled, that's when you should praise. That's when you should praise. David said, why is my soul disquieted within me? Why am I so frustrated? Why am I so set, what, upset? And he says, but I will yet praise him forevermore for the help of his countenance for the help of his presence. And then later on, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. I bet you anything, David was walking through some sort of tough circumstance when he wrote that. So that's the battle for praise. And then this is the last one, number seven. You guys can go ahead and stand with me. It's the battle of total dependence and trust. The battle of total dependence and trust. And this is where I'm gonna read Deuteronomy 8, 3. It says, so he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Why? That he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. There is purpose in your need. There's purpose in your circumstance. What is it? To teach you total dependence upon him. He allowed you to hunger. He, he did it to humble you. He did all these things. What you're walking through, he allowed you to experience so that he could show his power. He could show his glory and that you could encounter it and see the, the miraculous, wonder-working power of God touch your life. It's his grace. He said, I want to touch you with a miracle. So I send a need to do it. I sent a need to do it, but you have to come to a place of total dependence. I'm not gonna look to any other source. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on on your own understandings, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. I'm gonna trust him through every circumstance. Can I get an amen? Let's pray as we close. Lord God, I thank you so much for the people of this house, Lord God. I thank you for the commitment that they have given themselves to your kingdom, to your house, Lord God, to come on a Wednesday night because they want the presence of God, because they want the word of God. And I pray, Lord God, for every need, Lord God, that is accounted for in this house. Lord, I thank you that your, the needs that are here are an opportunity for your miracles, for your power, and for your glory. They're not a problem. They're not something that can't be overcome. They're a opportunity for you to show them that your strength is made perfect in their weakness and that the power of Christ can rest upon them, Lord God. And we give you glory for that. We honor you for that. We thank you for that, Lord God. And again, I pray for each need. I pray that they would see this week miracles begin to take place. I begin. I pray that as they face these seven battles, they would have victory over it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. They would find victory. They would not fall to worry, pride, a lack of prayer, doubt, discontentment, a lack of praise, or a lack of total dependence or trust. I pray that they would give it all to you, Lord God, and that they would see your hand touch their circumstance and fulfill every need. We thank you 
again, for that verse that we read at the beginning, Lord God, that you can satisfy and supply every need that we have according to the riches in your, of your glory in Christ Jesus. And we give you honor and we give you praise for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I trust that you are encouraged and inspired by the word of God today. Once again, I want to say thank you for joining us on this podcast. It's very important that after you receive the Word of God to make sure it gets sealed in your heart. I'd like to do that with you. I'd like to pray with you that we could tuck it away in our hearts and that we let the Word of God have free course, move swiftly in us, and it would glorify God. You know, the Word of God is a seed. You can expect results out of it. You can expect fruit out of it. You can expect something to be produced. Again, I'm so thankful that you joined us. Now allow me just a moment to pray with you. Father God, we come to you in the wonderful name of Jesus, the Word of God Himself. And I thank you for the Word that has been heard. I thank you for the Word that has been received. And Lord, now I ask that it gets covered up and it gets protected and locked and lodged in our hearts, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would water it. I pray that you would nurture it, that you would bring the light and revelation that it needs. And I pray that it produce good fruit in each and every heart that has received it today. I ask this in Jesus' name. I do this at the end of every service at the church. I want to do it with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may the Lord find great delight in you. And may you find great joy in him. May the Lord provide for you. May the Lord protect you. And may the Lord give you peace, peace. God bless you. Thanks for joining us.